This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast today. We have a fantastic conversation with a very interesting guy. Justin Adams is the trainer, or as he puts it, positivity mindset coach for Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland recently fought in the UFC against Michael Chiesa, and it was a fantastic fight. He took care of business. And I want to know how what Justin helps Kevin with could help the rest of us, whether that is uh, a fishing tournament that you want to get into, a business meeting that you need to be prepared for, or you want to have a very important conversation with your wife, whatever it may be. Are there things that we can learn from elite performers and trainers that we can transfer into our lives to make us all better? That's what we're going to talk about today, but we're going to go through a lot of MMA stories, bull riding stories, and other stories to get there. So here we go with Justin Adams. Hey guys, I'm Justin Adams. I'm with the Tom Rowland Podcast today. So Justin Adams, nice to have you on the podcast. How are you, man? Thanks, buddy. I'm excited. I'm doing well. I am uh, feel like I'm never slowing down anymore. Constantly picking up speed. <laughs> well, you had a very exciting weekend recently. Um, yeah. I watched, um, watched Kevin's fight. He looked crisp and clean and professional and just took care of business on a very tough fighter. Michael Chiesa. That guy has—he's tough. I, I mean, he—I've always thought of him as a tough fighter, but Kevin handled business like no problem. You know, the thing with Kev is um, he's finally maturing to a point that he is taking this serious, and he's actually progressing every single fight. What I love is you never have the same thing to worry about. What he was good at this fight is going to be added to the bag, and something new is going to come along for the next one. That it's hard to prepare to fight Kev. I've been trying to fight him for years. It's just hard to do. <laughs> well, <clears throat> so for the audience, you are part of, of Kevin Holland's training team, his trainer. What, what, what's your position there? What would you call your position, his trainer? I guess I'm the jiu-jitsu coach, but Kevin knows so much jiu-jitsu, wrestling, boxing, kickboxing, that typically I'm more of a just a – kind of positive vibes coach, right? I keep Kev reminded nice. that he's the baddest cat on two legs. So it, it makes us, we kind of have this relationship since he was, I think, 17, where we know how to get him in that peak performance mode. 
All right. I love it. You're going to teach us how to get into the peak performance mode, and we're going to bridge. That's what we're doing here. We're going to bridge the MMA bull riding world into how we can all take a little piece of that and apply it to our lives and be better. That's and a uh, big portion of this audience is, is fishermen, and, uh, and it can be very competitive and very physical and very tough in the different types of fishing that we do. But in order to get to know you a little bit better, we're going to do the one minute hot seat questions. Oh, and this is sometimes one of my favorite parts of the show and a lot of people's favorite parts of the show. I promise you, they won't, you won't get in trouble uh, with these questions. They're very simple. Okay. So are you ready to go for a minute? It's just the first thing that comes to your mind. Let's good go. to go. Let's go. All right. Rock, country, or other? Rock. Mountains or beaches? Mountains. Coffee, tea, or energy drink? Energy drinks. Name a movie that always makes you laugh. Grumpy old men. <laughs> Sunrise <laughs> or sunset? Ooh, sunset. Text or calls? Text. This will be a good one for you. One thing you're afraid of? Ooh, mice. <laughs> Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Winter Olympics or Summer Olympics? Winter. I'm from a ski resort. There you go. Fiction or nonfiction? Hmm. Fiction is nonfiction these days, so I'm going to go with fiction. <laughs> there you go. The Office, Friends, or Parks and Rec? Ooh, The Office. Nice. Technical gadget you rely on the most in your life? My phone. Uh, if you could have any superpower permanently, what would it be? I would have to go with um, the ability to read minds. Ooh. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Okay. Cats or assholes. All right. <laughs> you made it pretty far in there. Some interesting answers in there. You got like you from a ski resort? What what ski resort? My family owns Ski Cloudcroft in southern New Mexico. I think we're the southernmost ski area in the country. Um, wow. Do you have incredible elk hunting around you right there? Man. So New we Mexico? bordered the Mescalero Apache Reservation. And um, it's nothing for us. Usually good to see... On the mountain, you'll see some 330 bulls, 350 bulls. Um, but there's every year there's about a 375 killed somewhere in there. And do you did you grow up uh, elk hunting? Uh, mule deer and elk hunting, yeah. Right on. Do you still do it? I, I do when I get home. My uncle owns a big ranch in um, Cascade, Montana. And so my last little endeavor up there was uh, I did a mountain lion hunt a couple years ago. And I went All during right. the possible time in the winter where we had that cold stretch and I don't think it got above minus 20. And I learned what a human check engine light feels like. <laughs> what does that feel like? I would get out to get the gate and I was okay, but my body was telling me, yeah, you're okay right now, but this is dropping like a lead balloon. Like you're not going to be okay for long out here. Yeah. 20 below is serious. You know, one time I thought I was going to live in Wyoming, in Jackson, Wyoming. And oh, yeah. uh, that's where I started my, my guide career. And uh, I decided I was going to live there for the winter. And I'd only been there every summer. I'd been there for seven summers, but never in the winter. So I decided I was going to spend the winter there. And that's how I ended up in Key West, Florida there for the go. rest of my fishing career. <laughs> I decided that 30 below is a little too cold for me. But I have two boys that live in Bozeman. Uh, Montana. So, you know, they, yep. uh, they, they are, they are weathering it, but honestly, when I call out there and I'm asking them how cold it is, it's usually warmer than I think. So Those they've had it a little more mild, but this winter was, this winter was, this last winter was pretty cold. They had some 30 belows. 
my uh, my dad was born in Bozeman, so I bet you we have a oh, lot yeah? of the same. There's not a lot of people in Montana, so I bet we have a lot of the yeah. same contact. My actually, my uncle has a big ranch in Cascade, and they offer uh, they do a lot of fly fishing out of there. Okay, where is Cascade, Montana? Um, kind of that Great Falls area. Okay, Great Falls. Yeah. So do they? Uh, uh, we would go up there and fish between Helena and Great Falls is the Missouri River, yep. and uh, we spent up there, spent a good bit of time up there, and still go with my boys. They like to go up to the Missouri, but I haven't. I don't think I've ever been in the town or or the area of Cascade, uh, that Wolf Creek kind of uh, Helena, Great Falls area, kind of know it, but I'm sure I guess Cascade's somewhere in between there or kind of closer mm-hmm. to Great Falls. That's- Believe it. I believe, if I remember correctly, it's just south of Great Falls. I could be wrong though. I'll have to look at a yeah, map. Yeah, I bet he's got some great fishing there. Do you it's, like to do that too? It's incredible. And in fact, they uh, my cousin actually runs the he runs the fly fishing fly fishing service. So I'll make sure and get you his info because uh, I think we're gonna go back oh, up. Yeah. It's probably gonna be next summer. I'll probably go shoot a mountain line again this year, uh, this winter, and then I'd like to uh, go check out the fly fishing next year. It's a uh, it's kind yeah. of a good team building trip with um, with some of my business buddies and things like that. So, well, you know what's interesting, and and I'm not so sure. I would imagine it's it's this this way in jujitsu, but I know it's this way in wrestling. Wrestling was my primary sport growing up, yeah. And uh, there is a real connection between wrestlers and fly fishermen. I don't know why, but wrestlers seem to take to it. And there's like you know like wrestling jujitsu is kind of like physical chess. And then you have fly fishing, which is a lot like chess with with wild creatures. Like you have to d- choose these different flies. If you throw one in there, you might spook them. So you you got to try these different approaches to it. And I don't know why, but um, I think it's the similarities between the two sports that that it's kind of they're both kind of thinking man's game. So a lot of people don't realize that about wrestling and jujitsu, but and boxing as well. I mean, it seems like a brutal sport, but it's really a thinking man's game. Uh, at a high level, and uh, I think fly fishing is is very this very similar, especially freshwater fly fishing. But um, I couldn't yeah, agree more. I bet a lot of your fighters would would get into it. I couldn't agree more, and it it is a cerebral kind of sport. It, it, both of them uh, for different reasons, but a lot more so than people give either one credit for. Yeah, well, sometimes it just seems very brutal, and and like two brutes in there doing it. But you know, most of the people that I know that take it to a high level, like wrestling in college or or further, um, and a lot of jujitsu ju- black belts and people that I know are very smart people, extremely smart people. Um, it's it's bad. You know, to the level of like a Lex Friedman or somebody. Yeah, it's it's really cool, especially to kind of, you know, my my coach Travis Luter, he fought for a UFC world title, and and he's one of my closest friends and with the German mindset and the analytical kind of engineering approach, very no nonsense. And, you know, this works because of this and you can apply it because of these reasons, his jujitsu is world-class because of that, you know, and then um, it is a very, it is a very cerebral game and, and people don't realize, I think how, how much under pressure thinking you have during a, high anxiety or a, a high adrenaline event and the ability to maintain composure and stay calm, whether we're grappling, wrestling, fighting, uh, whatever the case may be, it's like, it's not giving credit as much to the cerebral and, and um, thinking aspect as people should give it. Well, one of the things that happens as you, 
have have taken wrestling or jujitsu to any sort of a high level, whether even if it's just high school wrestling, is that it has tremendous uh, crossover into into your regular life, whether that's personal life, business, whatever. What are the bit? What are the things that you think that that might have the biggest crossover that you've seen in your fighters or people that you've trained or or people you know just casual jujitsu people that that they learn lessons that they learn on the mat that they take into their normal life oh man um the ability to stay calm under pressure seems to be the key one uh when you've got a when you've got a 250 pound man smashing the fire out of you or trying to choke you and you have to think about what you're doing to get out you learn to be a little more comfortable in uncomfortable positions um i think that I think that it's something there's, I, I, I've been in, I'm going to admit it. I've been in fights with people that don't train and it's crazy how quick they redline and, um, and want to give up, you know, they'll, they'll think a choke's in when a choke's not in makes it easy for a guy that knows how to fight. <laughs> uh, we don't argue those times, but, um, I think that it's, it, the composure factor is something that's really key. What about your own story? How did you, how did you get started in, I mean, you've got like going through your Instagram and just, you know, we, we got introduced by, um, by coach HP there. And, uh, he told me, uh, he told me about you and you've got really a, 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 a really crazy resume of bull riding, making it as a MMA fighter, MMA trainer, jujitsu guy. I mean, pretty, pretty wild things like how does someone is it just incremental you just try one thing and then it leads to another or how do you how do you develop that resume how old are you now i just i'm 42 so i got some age okay. behind me um yeah well 42 is good good age i'm 55 i'll be 55 in august there we go so. you're holding it together a lot better than i am um, <laughs> that's the way it looks from from across the internet hey we'll take it um you know, for me, I, I guess it all stemmed from having uh, older brothers. And so they taught me early on that I, I was the test, you know, the test dummy <laughs> for all the dumb things that we did. Um, and I've been run over by more three-wheelers, four-wheelers, animals than I care to admit. I started riding, you know, steers and calves when I was young. Start, I got on my first actual full-grown bull at 12 years old, I think. Um, tons of injuries riding bulls. Like I did a comparative one day on my Facebook of my injury sustained rodeoing versus fighting. It's not even in the same ballpark. Um, but that's what kind of brought me from, you know, I'm, I'm from a little mountain town in New Mexico called Cloudcroft. It's hundred miles North of El Paso, Texas, 10,000 foot elevation. So I was working on the ski resort there and, and going to school and just, you know, rodeoing when I could around there. I got of legal age and um, I decided to dip out of New Mexico and move to Texas to go to some more rodeos and ride bulls professionally. Um, got to Texas and started to realize how many Brazilians were beating us in the rodeo circuit. So I started to do a little case study and there was a lot of them with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu background. So I researched Travis Luter. Um, I also may or may have definitely gotten into a few fights over here in Texas and decided I needed to learn how to fight, fight. <laughs> and so it went hand in hand. I got tied in with Travis Luter and it has definitely vastly improved my, it improved my rodeo career and my ability to ride bulls, but it also 
opened some doors where I realized, you know what, fighting guys that were 150 pounds is a lot less stressful than riding bulls that are 2000 pounds and it doesn't hurt as bad. <laughs> so, um, there was, you know, I was training a lot and this tall, skinny black kid from California moved into town and he was hard to beat up, but he was super charismatic and likable. Well, that turned out to be 17 year old Kevin Holland. And he and I palled up immediately. Um, he, I used to hire him to give me striking lessons and to help me with, you know, side work. And I'd sponsor him a hundred bucks a fight or whatever. And then he would, um, he in turn would beat the stuffing out of me. And then he just signed me up for my first fight one day. And hmm. so we ran the circles together, helping each other there. I put him on a couple bucking bulls, which I'll dig the videos up and send them to you. They, <laughs> that's not his sport. Um, <laughs> And then as it panned out, uh, I detached my retina in a fight. So I went blind in my left eye, which didn't need that left eye anyway. And so no more, Travis said no more fighting. Um, I got into this coaching gig and with Kevin, it's just kind of, we've been running circles and, you know, we, we have a great friendship to where I know his mental state. I can get him in the right, you know, peak performance mode, flip the switch to where he goes into killer mode and it's not always fun sometimes i get thrown all over the place like a like a rag doll but um we get him there and it's it's obviously working you know we've branched out i'm getting to work with terrence mckinney now i've worked with random marcos um did some stuff with Derek lewis this last weekend and it looks like we'll be helping big Derek moving forward so I, it's working there must be some translation from the the rodeo bludgeonings to these you know, understanding fighters and I'm digging it. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, understanding fighters is, is going to be a, a topic here in a second. And, and if you're going to start working with Derek, I'm sure that your life is going to become funnier. If anything, that guy is hilarious. He is really, really a funny guy. And I've got to take uh, him a piglet on Sunday. So <laughs> I have, I have these pigs, right? That yeah. my wife, okay, I started out with one tiny pig that was supposed to be a micro pig, and this thing's 200 pounds now. This was not a micro pig. And then my wife thought he needed a friend, so she got two more, and I got to get rid of one. I can't have three pigs running around the house. So Derek <laughs> said he needs a pig, and the last thing he told me before I left the other day, he grabbed me, and that man, when he grabs you, you pay attention. And he said, where's my damn pig at? I said, I will bring it this week. Just settle down. So I'll probably shoot some video of it and send it, of uh, Derek getting his pig. That's going to be awesome. I wonder why he needs a pig. Because he needs a he needs another pet or a friend or maybe he's hungry. That's I was thinking about that. From the, Could like, be. This, this piglet's the size of a cat. Could you imagine being dropped <laughs> off at Derek Lewis's house when you're, you're a mouthful at best anyway? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, that's that's going to be pretty funny. Um, well, that's that's uh, that's quite a quite a, a group of people that you've had to work with or, or been able to work with, and so you're kind of considering yourself. I think it's interesting that you called yourself kind of a positive vibes coach, and it, I think that it would be super awesome if everybody had a positive vibes coach. If if somebody had a positive vibes coach that they could go to before a business meeting, before a fishing tournament, before something that they needed to operate at, at a better performance, not even peak performance, but just better. What, what kind of things 
would would you do if you were a positive vibes coach for just a regular person, not a fighter? I think a lot of it goes into our ability to recognize when we're in our optimal performance mode, right? So you think back, you probably have maybe five or six times, you got a handful of times that you felt unstoppable and you just knew that where you were casting, you were going to hit and you knew that you were going to be your best version of whatever you were doing. So Mm -hmm. I like to try to identify those times and I'm constantly watching for little trigger reminders with Kev where it's like, Hey, you know, it, it, it might be subtle sometimes. I'll be like, hey, you remember this song? This was on that day you beat up Tim Means and we finished with this. And it reminds him, oh, yeah, that's right. And kind of hits that little, you know, the little light flips on. And uh, so I try to just find some things that identify with these guys. And, you know, the Ponza Nibio fight just before this one, Kev's hand, he had just broken his hand in the Wonder Boy fight. And he came back a little too quick, couldn't throw the right hand. And... That's one of my best friends, and I see him in the back, and he's never upset. And I see him worried about being able to punch with his right hand. And so um, I started to just remind him that he could beat the guy one-handed. And I started giving him instances of things I remembered of when he was the scariest human with one hand. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, you know, we walk out. And he starts to, it's, it all registers and he goes on and he beats the stuffing out of that guy with one hand. And it all comes back to just finding those little, you know, confirmation points more than anything, reminders. Because we've all had times where we feel unstoppable. Um, yeah. Being able to shuffle through your mental Rolodex and access those is, is key for anything. Yeah. When you're, um, when you're talking to the fighters, um, or anyone that wants to to achieve uh, a high level, you have you have some people that um, that really want to beat someone. You have someone that 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 wants to like dominate the fight or wants to wants to beat everyone else. And then you have other people that want to perform to their best, or they want to win, or they want they want more of a positive outcome where the other could be considered a negative outcome. Like I want to dominate everybody. I want to beat the crap out of this person. I want to, which, which, which of those do you think is more productive? Um, when we go into that mindset of, I just want to beat the stuffing out of this guy. It's great. Aggression's great, but it's not our optimal version of ourself. And so what you got to do is find the way to, really play to your strengths and bring out the best in your guy. If you can make him the best version of himself, like if we got, we saw it this weekend, we have Kevin a very prime version of himself right now. Uh, He's scary, right? Derek too. Derek's scary right now because these guys are realizing the head game and they're understanding how to get, how to flip the switch and get to where they're in their optimal mode. So I think that being the best version yourself is going to trump just going out there with the goal of beating this guy over the head. Because what happens if that guy's focuses, focusing on being his best version of himself, he's going to nullify a lot of what you have going on and probably excel in areas that you're skipping past because all you're seeing is red. Mm. That's important. Like, And that's where staying calm, like what we started talking about in the beginning, staying calm and is is super important. Absolutely. Um, but it, I I, I, you know, that was something that I learned in, in, in my life of, you know, the differences between the two, like wanting to beat the stuffing out of somebody or, 
wanting to 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 win at any cost or whatever and then the opposite of just trying to do the very best that you can uh capitalize on all the practice and all the all the reps that you've put in and just do each one of those perfect and if you do that you will win mm-hmm. right and you can take your whole team up with you and you can you can perform at at your very best and i guess it really is is kind of a personal thing when you get to your level of working with all these different varied personalities and fighters is there might be somebody that 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 definitely does perform better you know with kind of that more what i would consider a negative a negative mindset like i don't know that guy said something bad about your wife or or like like something like that and so for certain personalities that may be the more effective one um I don't know. Have you run into that? We have actually. It's like um, Randa Marcos, a dear friend of ours, Canadian girl that was in the UFC for a long time. She would tell me in between rounds, don't sugarcoat it. She said, tell me exactly what's going on, whether I'm winning or not. I need to hear it. Likewise, I've had other guys where you have to kind of be a little careful about how you present it. You know, with Kev, I like to, I like to lay the idea out and then let him kind of figure it out from there because then it resonates with him more. Kev's one of those guys that if you tell him what to do, he's going to prove you wrong by not doing it and being successful. So if we just lay it out there, let him pick it up and let him recognize it for himself, he runs with it. So understanding different guys and different ways to coach them and how they're going to process the information. Like it's, I could tell you the, you know, the, the, all the secrets under the sun, If but if I'm not telling you in a language you understand, it doesn't matter. So we've got to mm-hmm. figure out how to get our guys to receive the information in the most, you know, the best way possible. And you do run into that, you know. How how far did you take bull riding? I was going to PVR events. Um, I made it to the, what, I guess it's called, um, it's the televised, it used to be called the Bud Light Cups or the Built Ford Tough Series. Uh, I made it as an alternate to one event, uh, which is top 45 in the world at that time. And wow. uh, outside of that, I hung in that you know top 100 range in the, which works for me. I'm coming from a hometown with no stoplights, so um, <laughs> I definitely. But but one of the things that really struck me hard about riding bulls was when I was younger. Um, I could ride bulls, no issues, no problems, had no stress, no concern, no worry. And I used to get wrecked out. I've had my pancreas ruptured. I've had probably a, I bet 200 stitches. I've had teeth knocked out, everything. Um, never was worried. As I got older, um, I started to recognize how important the head game was to it because that's what tripped me out a lot of the time was I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be on the same level as some of these guys. And, you know, the guys that were beating me then, are all still really good friends of me now and, and, you know, proud of what I'm doing and and happy to take part in what I'm doing now. So I think my failure to, to win a gold buckle or to be, you know, the very top tier bull rider made me better for these guys as a coach now in a different sport, but very similar head game. Isn't that interesting? How long did it take you to, to be thankful uh, that you didn't win the gold buckle. I have a similar story. Should have won the state championship in wrestling. I got fourth place. And even today, at 55 years old, it hurts me to say that I got fourth place because I consider that a massive major failure. However, it's been pointed out to me by some people that are close to me is it's like, well, that's why you're, you've been successful in these other things because 
you you didn't prepare adequately for that, and whether you know it or not, you fixed that, and maybe you don't even realize that for 20 years, but it is because you had that failure that you that you chose this path. Yeah. And and there have been things that have happened because of that. That's a great point. That have led to success that you wouldn't have had otherwise, and I would just wonder if if it has. It seems like it's kind of hard for you to say I didn't win that gold buckle, but at the same time you're saying it's allowed me to do what I'm doing now, and I really like it, and I'm good at it. A hundred percent, and and honestly, um, how many wrestling tournaments do you go to happily now? You probably don't go to too many. Well. No, I do because I'm I've been a wrestler, a wrestling parent, and a mm-hmm. wrestling coach all, and okay. so it's very very different. Being a wrestler is one thing, being a wrestling coach is another thing, and being a wrestling parent is another thing entirely. And of the three, the most difficult is being the wrestling parent, I think. I see. I have a hard time. I my stepsons, my oldest one fights bulls uh, professionally, and then I have a. a professional bareback rider and a professional saddle bronc rider. And they've all ridden bulls at different times. I have a hard time going to rodeos because I miss that era of my life. But it's also a reminder that it's like things are different now and it's a little bittersweet. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, that that comes into play. I think like my coach, Travis Luter, has a hard time going to amateur fights and regional pro fights for the same reason. You know, when you've competed at these really high levels, it's hard to go and watch people kind of fumble through something that you mm-hmm. would love to have one more shot at. Yeah. Um, I did too. I won second in the state my senior year in high school in the bull riding. And I know that feeling you're talking about. It's like second's great. First was where it was at. And I should have been first. Yeah. And that kind of thing haunts you. So for me, I, I really enjoy the idea of, I look at life in chapters instead of you know, I have a lot of buddies that live that Uncle Rico life where they're hung up yeah. on high school glory and chapters. Mm-hmm. I had a great bull riding chapter. I had a good fighting chapter. I'm into, you know, I'm I'm living a great dad chapter and husband chapter. And just because the chapter ends doesn't mean the book's over. Right. I like that. I, th- I look at chapters as well. And uh one of the things that was interesting when I was doing some research on you was your was your parenting and how much time you're spending with your daughter and man I wonder what what kind of lessons that you're you're learning from bull riding and fighting that you're translating into parenting you know um one of the cool things I did when when my ex-wife she was my wife at the time got pregnant I started an email account for my little girl so I've been emailing her for, she's 11 now, so 12 years I've been sending her emails and I get hit in the head enough. I'll probably forget the good stories and some of the stuff. And so I think that's important <laughs> for her to see time-stamped situations that I've gone through, good and bad, funny stories, pictures, all that stuff. It's like nothing's that big of a deal that we can't solve it. And I used to hate when my parents would talk down to me. So I've made it a conscious effort. Like if we got something to go over, I get down, squat down on her level. We talk it out and I try to do it where she understands that we're trying to get to a solution and why we don't need to do that as opposed to just being told not to or whatever the case may be. Um, understanding information is just so important rather than just throwing it out there at them. And so 
I do. The very single very best thing about me is my munchkin. So the best thing I've ever done has got to be a dad. The cool part is I had mine about, I don't know, a couple months before Kevin had his little boy. And he took the same approach. And he and Cam are thick as thieves. And Cam and my daughter are really good buddies. So he comes out and stays with us a lot. And then what I thought was cool was Kev had a baby while we were out at this fight. And he changed his flight home and everything to get home as soon as he could after the fight to go hang out with his baby. And I think that's cool, man. I mean, these are, you know, these are mini versions of us that we're farming out and sending out in the world. So you got to do a good job. You got to be involved. Yeah, for sure. It's, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. You're, you're, mm -hmm. I'm sure you're a great dad. You know, we, we enjoy that part. Yeah. It's been, um, it's been fantastic being a dad. I love it. I've got three children. I have a 25 year old, a 23 year old and a 19. They are. That's, that's another chapter for us. Like we're, we're opening another chapter of now we're empty nesters and our kids are, are gone. So as far as bull riding and fighting and parenting, are there any other things that you've uh, learned or drawn conclusions or, or similarities of? Man, um, you know, it's crazy. Between all the different things that I've gotten to do, you build close friendships with the most random people, right? It's like, in what world are your two closest friends, Kevin Holland and Travis Luter, which are opposite ends of the spectrum as far as, as far as human, human beings are concerned? Um, my rodeo life, I got to see so much cool stuff and and you know made great long-lasting friendships there that i still call on today and um it's it's like of all the things i still got i still stand by it being a dad's the coolest for me um i, I just don't think that there's anything that's matched that from a height a uh, high standpoint um i can say as far as other dumb things i've done let's just shoot from the hip here i tried to bulldog <laughs> a mule deer off of a snowmobile one time and that didn't work Wow. Yeah. I, <laughs> I tried to jump on a turkey off a snowmobile one time too, and that was worse than the mule deer. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. I Like I said, growing up with the ski resort and living on a ski resort, we had a lot of time to do really dumb stuff. Um, I've got <laughs> so many stories that I probably shouldn't put out in the world that are fantastic. So one day we'll have to have a drink and I'll go over some of the final points. <laughs> when you grow up in a town with no stoplights and no yeah. cop, you can get away with a lot of fun stuff. I'm sure that, uh, fun stuff, but also, you know, when you're not watching TV all the time, you, you have to create your own entertainment, right? And bulldog and a mule deer off a snowmobile sounds like a hell of an afternoon. You know, I rode right up next to it and it was in some deep snow and I was in some packed snow next to it. And I thought, my brother was following me and I thought I could dive off and get this guy. And I got right up next to him and he got up on the pack snow and kicked the back at me and it's, it splintered the windshield on my snowmobile. And I just, I'm good. I don't need to jump on that animal now. And then the Turkey, <laughs> I got up close to the Turkey. They've and got, went to they're wild animals for a reason, man. Well, there's actually, and you know, Ty Murray, the, um, all around PRCA world champion bull rider, bronc rider. I think he was on Dancing with the Stars. He married Jewel. Yeah. So there's if you if you find it, there's still a picture out there of Ty once back, I believe it was in Wyoming. They were on a snowmobile tour. 
and they roped a cow elk and he rode the cow elk like because Ty could ride anything. So he jumped up on this cow elk and wow. about it. Uh, he got in trouble, had to pay a fine. This was back in the nineties. Um, which means it had to be pretty legit because in the nineties people didn't care about stuff like they do now. But it was kind of a it was kind of a cool thing that, you know, something different. And if you're left outside too long, you get it. You stay outside too long, you end up doing trying some dumb stuff. Oh yeah. Riding a bull elk, I don't know that that's going to be on the list. It's not for me. I'm good without that one. I uh, well, all the I mean the the all the horns and the spikes and things that it could be throwing back at you. And I'll text it to you because it's out there somewhere. But he just jumped on a cow elk and they they roped it, <laughs> put a rope on it, and he climbed up on board and had the picture. It's amazing the stuff we'll do for pictures. Yeah, that's where that's where people go crazy with the gram nowadays. Let me ask you a couple other questions about training, and this may go into the mindset. I'm interested in how you see it being different training a an up and coming new fighter as and then you've got like veterans that you're that you're working with. Um, what what are the differences in the mindset and what things that you have to work with uh, on on the two in, different ends of the spectrum there? Um. With the veterans, it's nice because they know what's expected of them, um, and they know what their strong points are. The downfall sometimes is breaking bad habits and getting them in a different mindset. It's, you know, mm-hmm. you got some of these guys that have have won before; they get on a losing streak, and now we've, it's harder to dig them out of that losing rut in their mindset than than it would be a fresh guy. Uh, in the same breath, you got fresh guys that think they know more than they do that haven't been battle tempered yet and uh, they need to be reminded that there are levels to the game. So everybody presents their own challenge for sure. And we have to be careful. I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu, but we have to be careful sometimes to present information without it being overly offensive because these are all people that can beat the stuffing out of me and I'm tired of getting beat up. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that is a pretty fine line to walk. How do you see the uh, how do you see that the sports changed in the last fifteen or twenty years as far as the new talent that's coming up and and uh, and just just the overall progression of the sport? New talent's huge because we're finally seeing a full blending of styles of mixed martial artists instead of specialists in one particular martial art or two that are trying to combine them. We're finally seeing the full the full meal deal now. Um, there's also an overall acceptance to the sport that's a lot more wide-reached now than before. Before it used to be a barbaric sport, right? Human cockfighting, I think, is what John McCain referred to it mm-hmm. as. Now, I yep. mean, it's it's effective yep. and it's recognized as a sport instead of an actual fight. So, uh, don't tell anybody. At the end of the day, it's still a fight. But people that approach it from a sports mindset tend to be in better physical condition. We're seeing healthier athletes longer, safer careers. Um, I think it's the progression speaks volumes as to, um, you know, to how much work has gone into furthering the sport for the betterment of the athletes. Yeah. It's definitely gotten more competitive as well. Um, and people are, I mean, all the athletes now just look like they're in incredible shape and, uh, you know, different than in the beginning when you got tank Abbott out there, just, Tough guy, but not not in the best shape. You don't see anybody like that 
today. Few really. and far between now. And if they if they don't take it serious, they get passed up. There's a lot of people wanting to get in the UFC. So if you're in the UFC now, you're upper echelon, and you got to continue to perform, or they'll pass you by, and somebody will take your spot. That's one of the things that Kevin's been so good about is just taking these fights on short notice and and uh, and offering to fight anybody. But then when the call actually comes, it seems like he's taken the call. Man, one of the coolest things that I saw was during the COVID era, 2020, he fought. He won five fights in seven months, but we had 13 opponent changes on those five fights. And one of them, we were supposed to fight Trevin Giles, and Trevin fainted on the walkout, passed out on the walkout. So Dana came to tell us, and Kevin said, he said, call Ed Herman, because Ed Herman had a fight fall out the, the day before. And Kev said, call Ed Herman and uh, I'll fight him. And so Dana called him and Ed said, I'm a weight class up. I'm 205 pounds, not 185. And I'm five shots of tequila deep right now. And Kev said, I'll take five shots of tequila too. And we'll go out there and we'll go make some money. And clearly they didn't let that happen. I think we got to fight the next week. But I thought that was cool that he was down to fight a guy one weight class up on 45 minutes notice with five tequila shots just to make the fight happen. And you got a window, you know, you got a small window of time wow. to get these fights out and stay busy. If you stay in fight shape, you don't got to get in fight shape, which means stay in fight shape and go get paid. I think the kids, I don't want to pitch numbers out, but he's done extremely well financially over these last five years. So I'm proud of him. That's great. One of the coolest things about him that I saw was when he chased the, person down that um robbed the liquor store between the f- weigh-in and the fight like that was incredible <laughs> that's incredible it was so funny we were standing outside trying to figure out where we were going to eat dinner and this guy runs out the liquor store and the liquor store owner ran and he made five steps and he stopped with his hands on his knees and he said that guy stole a bottle of booze and so kev turned and looked at his uncle baby uncle patrick and he said first one that gets him wins and they took off and we're all just kind of like, really? We're going to play Batman right now? And I have a video on my phone somewhere, but I found some random guy that they'd passed him while they were running. And I said, did two two guys run past here? And he said, yeah. I said, which way did they go? And he said, they're over there. They went you know, behind that alley. And he said, I heard one of them tell the other one, if you stop running now, I won't beat your ass when I get to you. And I said, yeah, that's, that's Kevin. <laughs> and yeah, he's he stopped that. Uh, that shooting in Houston at the sushi restaurant, a guy came in, started shooting up the place, and Kev took him down, choked him out. Um, he stopped. He saw a tractor trailer wow, flipped over and that. pulled the guy out of that. He's he's officially Deadpool because he's a superhero, but he's not trying to be, and he's going to hurt some feelings along the way. But he does well. Good good guy to have on your side. That's yeah, and and good guy to travel with too because you're always going to have stories when you come back. I'm sure. Oh, good grief! The China story in its own right. When we went out to Beijing, I had, I think, ten days with him, and I was convinced we were never. I, I know we'll never get asked to go back to China, but we had a great time. <laughs> we all were. We were all headed. It was me and Travis Luter and Paul Halmy headed to the Great Wall to go check that out. And I said, hey, Kev, do you want to go with us to the Great Wall? You're never going to see it again. And he said, that sounds like white people stuff. And I said, shut up. It's not. And he goes, look at what y'all are wearing. And sure enough, 
Travis, Paul, and I were all wearing red flannel shirts. And I said, okay, yeah, you're right. This is kind of a white guy activity. Fair enough. Stay home. And it was great for us. We went, we actually drank <laughs> Chinese vodka on the Great Wall with a bunch of Russians. Um, and that was, that was such a cool conversation to have because Russians are different. And I don't know what those guys were doing over there, but whatever they told us they were doing, it wasn't right. They were, they were lying to want somebody. What'd they tell you they were doing? They said they were in gas and oil. When I asked gas and oil questions, you would have thought that I asked them to translate some hieroglyphics. And so huh. they did ask Travis. They said, because um, they were talking about Travis fighting. And he said, the one of them turned to him and said, you fight to death? And he said, no. And the guy goes, bah. <laughs> so I'm like, what the hell do you guys do in Russia? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're just a fake fighter. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you don't fight to the death. Ah, nothing. So it was interesting. I don't know what they were. That's funny. I have a picture of them somewhere. It's comical. We're in our red flannel shirts, and they're varying levels of Russian that are all standing around us. And we drank, like I said, Chinese vodka. It tasted like paint thinner. It was the worst stuff in the world. And then rode that alpine slide down the Great Wall. And surprised nobody got killed or arrested <laughs> man you've uh you've been all over the world riding bulls and and fighting and and training what an incredible life you've had and you're only 42 still going hopefully i hope for a while longer so if you were to uh if you were to define the difference between a positive mindset and a negative mindset how would you do it um, reframing your, your internal dialogue. Um, there's a lot of people that concentrate on, I shouldn't do this or don't do that. And your body, your mind can't tell the difference between do and don't. So if you say, don't get in the clinch, you're going to clinch because all your mind's hearing is clinch. So we've got to reframe it to where you say, you know, I need to go here instead and, and keep it positive instead of telling your, your body and your mind, no, you've got to reinforce yes, reinforce positive. Mm hmm. Very good. I like that. And then if you were to uh, like one of the things that's been brought up here uh, and one of the things that I have a, a theme in my life um, and I won't explain it. I'm just going to tell you these these two words. Weakness equals strength. What does that mean to you? That means that when you have your flaws exposed, you know what to work on in my mind. So you know where your where your weak spots are either to protect or to improve is, is, is how I interpret that. Nice. If we don't know ourselves. Pretty close. That's pretty good. Give me the, give me the breakdown. Well, I mean, it is that exactly how you, how you said it, but also when you, um, when you have weaknesses and you're aware of them, you can work on them. And then if you can make a weakness, your strength, imagine how much better that you are. That's awesome. I'm going to steal that. Yeah. I mean, but, but it is that way. And it's that way in, in fishing and fighting and, and everything that requires a lot of different skill sets. If there is one skill set that you're very bad at and you identify that, and then you make that weakness, your strength, you're going to be exponentially better than you were, than you once were. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that your phone is, uh, getting close and we're also getting close on time, but man, it's been really awesome to meet you and hear, hear these stories and, and tap into your mindset a little bit. 
and uh, I'd love to have you back someday. We actually lost him right at the very end, so that's why it kind of bobbled there at the end, but that is not the last time we'll hear from Justin. I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you did as well. And Justin, you're always invited back. You have an open invitation to come back and talk to us about mindset and positivity. I loved it. I hope that you have a positive mindset all week, and we'll see you here next week. See you.